Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. I don't know about you, but I feel completely unequal to this moment. Not this moment, and not all of the time, but often I feel unequal to this moment we are in. And it's an existential shift for me. For much of my life, I have considered myself the can-do girl. Some folks live with imposter syndrome, feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persist beside, despite their level of education or experience or accomplishments. I have walked through the world with a kind of overconfidence, thinking that I'm probably a better driver, a better problem solver than I really am. It's occurred to me that I'm the person that you want on hand after a plane crash. I'll be there to organize the rescue effort. Believe me, I make even myself tired. But not so much with the overconfidence anymore. It could be a function of age. I arrive at 59 next month, and I'm less sure of many things than I used to be. More likely, it is a function of this absurdist world that we live in that becomes more absurd by the day. Don't you sometimes feel as if we're in a topsy turvy play where some of the characters inject themselves with horse medicine while other characters just laugh at them, and where some characters rail against the set burning down around them while others just laugh and scream and shoot, and the producers are out in the house just counting their money? What shall we call this play, this tragicomedy? I call it unequal to the moment. This phrase, this unequal to the moment, pulls me up short. There is in it, there's grief and there's truth, there's relief at being able to name it. The absurdity of individualism, unlearning so much because so much that we've been taught is wrong. And the question, always the question, where to return for relief and for solace. We can turn to the usual comforts, alcohol, mood-altering drugs, food, shopping, binge-watching TV, doom-scrolling on social media. Do you feel this? you feel this? Perhaps we've felt it for years, and now in pandemic world, it's the despair is more and more upon us. We carry it more and more. This thought, unequal to the moment, leads me to what Sharon Welch calls cultured despair. A Unitarian Universalist ethicist and theologian, Sharon Welch wrote in her groundbreaking book, Toward a Feminist Ethic of Risk, that the complexity of social problems and the inability to perceive how they might be resolved 
often results in a middle-class failure of nerve, defined as the inability to persi persist in resistance when the problems are seen in their full magnitude. The resulting cynicism and despair is a privilege of the affluent who can detach from the day-to-day -day issues of oppression. Welch writes, it's easier to give up on long-term social change when one is comfortable in the present, when it is possible to have challenging work, excellent health care and housing, and access to the fine arts, when the good life is present or within reach, it's tempting to despair of it ever being in reach for others and resort to merely enjoying it for oneself and one's family. The feminist ethic of risk is characterized by three elements, each of which is essential to maintain resistance in the face of overwhelming odds. She's offering this ethic of risk as a corrective to that cultured despair, characterized by three elements, each of which is essential to maintain resistance in the face of overwhelming odds. A redefinition of responsible action grounding in community and strategic risk-taking. A redefinition of responsible action, grounding in community and strategic risk-taking. Viterbo University professor Matthew Bailey puts it this way, resisting cultured despair is a disposition that names an experience with the, per, the paralysis and the privilege that often prevent us from moving beyond critical description, what's going on, to a responsive and responsible action in an unjust and messy world. We're stuck, and it will move us into our discomfort zone to be unstuck. And so we live in this absurdity, this late-stage capitalism, lethal divisiveness, patriarchy, white supremacy culture, crumbling democracy, and it's, we're not meant to hold all of that. We are not meant as human beings to hold all of that, and yet now it's right in the palm of our hands. Our colleague Sadie Lansdale of the UU Church of Greensboro, North Carolina, asks these clarifying questions. These really are helpful to getting me unstuck from this. The most meaningful question to me is, who profits? Who profits from my despair? Who wants me to doubt that a world with no walls or borders or cages is actually possible? Who wants me to feel that a political economy based on harmony and abundance and care is just a pipe dream? Who has a financial interest in me giving up? Whew. Those are the questions that I want to hold with me in this 
time. It's not about being equal to the moment. It's about having questions to make us ready for the moment. Some years ago, I heard a question posed by the leaders of the multi-faith group Isaiah of Minnesota. Will we be chaplains to the empire or prophets of the resistance? Chaplains to the empire suggest soothing and comforting a dying, giant, hulking thing as it loses its power. This hulking thing that has held us in its sometimes comforting embrace. Prophets of the resistance suggest that we go before, we go in front of and alongside to proclaim a new way and a new day. Think of John the Baptist, the prophet who proclaimed the power of Jesus, who came before and proclaimed the power of Jesus. And in truth, perhaps we are both Because as the empire dies, people in sacrifice zones will suffer the most. And so we must proclaim the resistance and offer comfort at the same time. Today, the 26th UN Climate Conference begins in Glasgow, Scotland. Year after year, we've been told that we are running out of time. But for what? Not to save the planet. The planet's going to be fine. She will be okay. To save the planet as habitable for Homo sapiens and the cultures we've created. Even though I am pessimistic about the ability of humans to work together, Ishu seems to have passed between us and we are at it. I am working to temper my cultured despair. Movement activist Hannah Sassaman says this, loss, even death, isn't failure. It is necessary for that endless child evolution to learn. So I take great care to learn from loss, treat it it as a planted and nourished seed, and to treat times of cold and dark as rest. That phrase about evolution being an endless child is a game changer for me. And yet, if we are to witness the coming end of habitability for our species, there will be more and more sacrifice zones. They will expand and the people in them will suffer. Do the natural rhythms of nature provide solace or more anxiety for us? Maybe some of both. Certainly this summer, in the heat of the summer, there was a lot of anxiety for me with the extreme heat and the smoke from the wildfires. That was weird. And so while there's a natural rhythm to the season as they become more intense and the seasons are not what they have been in the past, there is anxiety that comes alongside any solace that we also gain in this gorgeous fall Minnesota day.
I wonder what earth-centered traditions have to teach us about loving and letting go and how loving the cycle of nature is an act of resistance. From Jay's story, we are at a crossroads. The tale of Eshu and his two, these two friends that he passes between, this is an, an Orisha Odu. And the word Odu is a tale, and it means a basket of sacred wisdom. Ishu is a trickster god, and yet he is essentially protective and benevolent. But this chaos that Ishu creates has something to teach us as it breaks us open. Sometimes we have disagreements and we cannot find our way back simply because we both have a piece of the truth. The hat was red on one side and the hat was black on the other and each of us can't see the full truth. So the rhythms of nature by design, part of the, part of the cycle is hidden at any given time. When he moves back through the, the friends again and they can see the truth, in this story, the way Jay told it, it was unable to be repaired. They had gone too far down in their divisiveness. But how could, if they didn't each have to be so right, how could they find their way back? In the rhythms of nature, today is a sacred day among earth-based traditions. In the neo-pagan tradition, today is known as Samhain. Spelled out, it looks like Samhain, Samhain. Samhain is a cross quarter day, exactly between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice. In this lore, the veil is thin between the worlds, between our present reality and some other life where our ancestors and our descendants hold space. This predated Christianity, we believe, and all Souls Day and All Saints Day come out of that time of being able to commune with the ancestors, those gone before. We don't have to believe this literally to know that our relationships extend through space and time. What we do today has ramifications, just as what our ancestors did affects us today. We feel the dark closing in and this seasonal change on this Samhain day when the, world, when the veil is thin. We feel the dark coming as we make our way toward winter solstice. And some of us feel the physical effects of seasonal affective disorder. We bring out our light boxes. We don't have to believe metaphorically that the dark is good for us physically. We don't have to believe literally that the dark is good for us physically. To learn metaphorically from the song from Peter Mayer about the dark, so much good can happen in the dark. Can we make a tryst with mystery? An old joke from someone who hates their job goes like this. I work in a mushroom factory. They keep me in the dark and feed me BS all day long. 
Ha ha. Here's some new wisdom on mushrooms. Mycelium mushrooms are a great teacher of trust. The word mycelium means more than one. The mycelium organism is a dynamic root system of mushrooms that utilizes trust as a mechanism to build and sustain a vast reciprocal underground network that connects the roots of trees and plants and skillfully shares nutrients and resources to support the health of the entire ecosystem in which it moves. One old story about hierarchy and someone keeps you in the dark and just feeds you nonsense all day long and reaps the benefits of it. Another story of earth-based wisdom of reciprocal networks for good. One of the things that we learned in, in uh, life sciences that are that mammals have a, a fight or flight response. But later we learned that we also have a freeze response. The existential anxiety and dread that we feel sometimes seems perfectly appropriate as a mammalian response. And the endless child of evolution is working on us, calls us to unshackle ourselves from that frozen state, ever so slowly to move from our analysis paralysis, to move with the rhythms of nature to connect and network. Here's what emergent strategy has to say to me about my cultured despair. I don't have to stay in the dark and be fed BS by those who benefit from my mammalian freeze. You, we, don't have to stay in the dark and be fed BS by those who benefit from our cultured despair. We can learn from the mushrooms to grow trust and networks that are reciprocal and dynamic. And by definition, a congregation is a network. We both comfort each other and make each other strong. Of of course I am unequal to this moment. As a human being, I and you were not meant to be independent. It's one more lie that we were taught. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's only through interdependence that we can hope to meet this treacherous time. Jim shared these words of Robin Walls Kimmerer, and I want to end with this. She says, even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world holds us, giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair, not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily, and I must return the gift because the relationship between self and the world is reciprocal. It's not a question of first getting enlightened or saved and then acting. As we work 
to heal the earth, the earth heals us. May it be so, and blessed be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.